Hallelujah. We're going to hear the word of God this morning. So I greet you all in the precious name of Jesus this morning and thank you, Father, that your presence in the midst of your people is as strong as you want it to be. But we ask, Lord, you remove every hindrance that stops the fullness of your presence to come. And we thank you right now in the name of Jesus that every veil is torn, every lie and deception of the devil is broken, and that your pure word will come forth, the sincere milk of the word will reach us and do what it has to do for us in this hour. We bless you, we honor you, we give you all the praise this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. So God's word is supreme in everything. Meaning to say, there is nothing above the word of God, nor below the word of God, that can assert its authority or its existence and its purpose and direction for which it is sent. Let us go to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to talk to you about the three messages of God to man. That's the title of my message. The three messages of God to man. But we're going to start with a preliminary foundational understanding in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 through to 20. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. Now since this is the end of the last message or the last Sunday of the year, I believe I have a license to keep preaching till the first morning. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're all in agreement. Hebrews 6, 17 through to 20. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the way, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And now let's go to Psalm 138. And verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple, and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The incredible nature of God's word written down for us to understand his thoughts, his plans, his uh, uh, hopes for us and what he then puts into us to instruct us in the way that we must go concerning what is written. In that we must understand it, we must receive it, we must obey it and then we must appropriate it by faith so that it operates and it comes out as what it was meant to do. His word never returns to him void. So that means it doesn't necessarily mean that it bears fruit for us, but it bears fruit for him. Hallelujah. And you've got to understand this because oftentimes we sow the word but we get no 
return. And we think the word has been wasted. No, the word is never wasted. Amen. You may not have got the return because you may not have used it properly. Or you may think you have not used it properly. But that's up to the Lord how He manages His word. So in giving you that background of the word and laying a foundation for the message, I want to bring you back to the title that the three messages of God to man. We can sum up the whole Bible into that. The three messages of God to man. So the first message that God gave to man is, I'm calling it the incoming message. Okay? And you can find that in Luke chapter 2, 11 to 20, 11 to 14. Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So here's the incoming message. Peace and goodwill toward men. Now this is the, the peace that passeth all understanding. Unavailable on earth. No matter where you go, you can go to Bali, have two weeks of holiday, you know, get a nice suntan and come back and say, I had a great holiday, but there is no peace. You just had a great holiday. Because it's not available on earth. This peace is not available from the bookstore or in the supermarket. Okay, it has to come to you by the hand of God. Now, the last few days I've been struggling with something, so I rang up a couple of guys and I said, listen, I need you to pray. And I need you to pray that the peace of God will come to me. Amen? It's not that, you know, it's, it's a stress situation and you're trying to sort something out in the realm of the Spirit. But what I need most of all in the instance in the first instance is peace because with peace then I can do my warfare more effectively okay I can go out and achieve things in a relaxed manner so I said please pray that was a couple of days ago the minute they started praying the peace started flooding in even as I was speaking to them the peace started flooding in the literal manifest peace of God started man infiltrating my body, my soul, and my spirit. And I began to relax. And I began to understand that I am not in this battle alone. Amen? And even though I have been a Christian and a minister for many, many years, I still need that peace. I still need that understanding of God's peace at any given moment in order for me to conduct my warfare. And then when you look at this peace, you also begin to realize that it is the peace that is removing the enmity between God and man contained in ordinances as in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? So what happened was, because man sinned and disobeyed God, he fell out of relationship with God and God imposed upon him the law. So when he got the law, he got instructions that led to death, did not lead to life. He could just about get by for the year or get by for a few months. 
but he needed to do so many things to get some reconciliation back, his peace with God, so to speak. But he wasn't actually getting that permanent indwelling peace of God that comes through Christ Jesus. And that's the message that the angels brought to the shepherds by night and said, listen, now I'm sending you the peace in the form of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. So we Christians make a mistake that once we receive Jesus, that everything is over and we don't need to do anything more. We don't need to pray. We don't need to appropriate. We don't need to do anything. And we're running helter skelter trying to sort things out again and again by our own methods. Instead of going to the Heavenly Father and once again appropriating what He has already given. Amen? In the form of Jesus. So he's telling the world, listen, the first thing I'm sending you to overcome the law that I sent you, the debt that is upon you, the sin that is upon you, is peace and goodwill toward men. That means I'm no longer angry with you. I'm not going to destroy you. If you fulfill the conditions that I have put, which is to accept my son Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Now we have a problem with this because many, many Christians accept him 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago and then they go their own way. And they lose sight of Jesus and suddenly the priority becomes the second or the third priority or not at all a priority. And so they lose their peace, they lose the goodwill and then they wonder why God is not answering their prayers nor is he talking to them. Right? But God is always reaching out. God is always showing grace. God is always showing mercy and saying, Come. Now, what He does not want to do with you and me is to impose His law on you. Okay? He does not want to do that. He did it before Christ. But after Christ, He doesn't impose it. He says, Choose. Amen? Now, what do we choose? We choose the other way most of the time. Instead of going back to God and saying, God, now I choose you in this situation. Show me what to do. And then the peace of God comes. Right now, we are facing very troublous times in the world. I mean, it's an understatement. Okay? Of the kind of things that are happening in the world today, there's no peace on earth. So what does this mean when he says peace and goodwill toward men? See, what's he talking about? How can See, people ask you, well, how can you talk about peace? There's no peace. We're not talking about earthly peace. We're talking about godly peace that brings about an earthly peace. So you can exist in the midst of evil because you have the peace of God. Because it's a protective armor over you, in you, in your mind and in your heart. That's the ultimate protection over and above the armor of God. This is what God taught me from Romans 16, 20 and uh, Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Be anxious about nothing, but through prayer and supplication make your requests known unto God and the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall protect your heart and your mind. And he said, son, that's the inner armor. That is the inner best armor. You've got your breastplate of righteousness, you've got the belt of truth, you've got the feet shot of the gospel, you've got the sword of the spirit, you've got the shield of faith, you've got the helmet of salvation. But all of that the devil can attack and take away from you because he can bring such a serious situation in your life 
consistently over a period of time called the war of attrition. He can do it for a day, he can do it for years, he can do it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, all your life. Because you do not come to that place where you submit yourself to the peace of God, the first message of God, peace and goodwill toward men. So the turmoil is there. Nobody says the turmoil is not there. Nobody says darkness is not there. Nobody says the difficulties don't come. But what do I go for first? I go for the peace. Because then I'm settled. Then I'm residing in Christ. And I'm living by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who has entered into the veil and, and removed the enmity between God and man. Now I have access into the presence of God. I'm no longer a, a foreigner. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm welcome. The angels welcome me. And they say, come into the presence of the Father. And I find my peace. I find my joy. I find the answers I'm looking for. The incoming message of God was peace and goodwill toward men. If this morning you are struggling with something, do what I did. Go to God and say, I need your peace. Forget about everything else because that's the first message. You need the peace of God. You need to be assured. You need to be uh, understood by God that even though you are in the midst of all this trouble, that God has got His hand on you. Amen? Look, I, I, I can very easily criticize people. I can very easily judge people. Because I'm given to that. As a human being, I'm given to that. But I must know how God sees things, how God sees people. And I must see through His eyes. Yes. Right? And now His message has always been, you know, it's a resounding message. It's going on and on. Peace and goodwill toward men. So come to that place, submit yourself, surrender yourself, and say, I want to receive your peace with you. And then what happens is the peace of God the past all understanding, the peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away will come to you. One day I was asking God, what does peace mean? When I was a young Christian. And he said, I'll show you. And I felt peace like honey. Mm -hmm. It's a liquid. Okay? It's a liquid. And it's like honey. And from that day on, the peace of God never left me. The moments of my warfare are when the devil is coming to take my peace. What I have already appropriated, what I already have, what has already been given, that's what he wants. Amen? That's what he's after. So you've got to understand how warfare takes place. The second message that God sent to the world, I call it the outgoing message of Jesus. Let us go to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, go into all the world. That was the second message. That's the outgoing message of Jesus as he was leaving the earth. Matthew 28. He took his disciples up to the mountain and as he was disappearing in the clouds, he said this in verse 
18 through to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then in Luke 24, 49, the same message in a different way. Luke 24, 49, it says to the disciples, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. I'm sending you power from on high. So two things, go into all the world and preach the gospel. God, how am I supposed to do that? I'm sending you power from on high. Awesome. Amen? That you will be my witnesses. The word witness in the book of Acts is it means to say and do the same things Jesus did. To say and do the same things Jesus did. How did Jesus do the things that he saw that his father did? He saw his father do it and he heard his father say and do it. Then he did it. So you and I have to become people who hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us and we must also see what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. Then you can see with your spiritual eyes and you can speak with your spiritual mouth the tongue that He has given you. Then your words will have effect. Then will it reap the reward of the words having gone out. Whether there is a manifest result or not, you know you have sown and it is not going to return void to God. It may return void to you. You may not see it, but you know that that seed has been implanted. That someday that seed is going to die and it's going to bear fruit. He said, teach child in the ways of the Lord when he's a child and he will not lose his way later on in life. What does it mean? That there has been an implantation of that seed. There has been an insertion of a fertile seed into that person so much so that when that person has gone through drugs, alcohol, drugs, every other possible sin in the world, that finally comes to the realization that, hey, I know someone called Jesus who is the Savior. They told me in Sunday school about him and I know he's alive, I know he is real. I'll bow my knee to him and he will save me from this situation. And that's how it happened for me a drug addict and an alcoholic because my mother sowed the seed of Christ into me daily. You need to sow the seed of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your power. You cannot be a witness of Christ by your intellect or by your methodology, by your agenda, by a denominational structure or by any other way. It has to be the Spirit of God operating in you and through you that when your mouth opens the words of God that comes out are spirit and life. Hallelujah. Yes. That they change the scenario. They change the circumstances. They take hold of that which is against the word of God and destroy it because he said I will put my word in your mouth and I will cause you to pull down, root out and destroy the enemy and I will cause you to build what is of me. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. He said, oh, I'm just a little baby. 
You know, I don't, I, I can't do this. I've got stammering lips. I can't go to Egypt and deliver your people. I can't go to the homosexuals and help them. I cannot go to the drug addicts and help them. I, no, 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 no. Stop talking like you are a useless person. I have given you instructions. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I have given you the Holy Spirit, the power of God in you, living in you, able to destroy the enemy, able to bring down all the forces of darkness that surround you. So, oh God, but there's so many, they're so big, they're Goliaths, they're little nincompoops running around everywhere, they're little foxes, they're destroying everything. I put my hand to you, he says, son, stand up. Stand up. Oh, you've been defeated a hundred times, come on, I know it. So have I. Stand up. For the power of God lives in you. Yes. Either you have the Christ, the Spirit of Christ in you and you are of His body, or you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you and you're not of His body. But you've got the God, you've got the form of Godliness. You come to church, you lift your hands, you worship, sing nice songs and say, Oh, I got that goosebump feeling there this morning. I'm really good. You know, and God touched me this morning. And then you walk out from the door and the devil is waiting with a big two by four, you know, a jara piece of wood waiting to hit you over here. And he's even staying it for you. <laughs> You've got to know how to fight You've got to know how to retain what God has given you. So that when you go out there in the highways and the byways, and when evil surrounds you, when somebody comes and says, Hey bro, you used to be a drug addict, why don't you take some more drugs? Say, no, I don't need that. God bless you, let me deliver you now, son, because you're stuck with me. Be there, not that. Get a t-shirt, be there, not that. No, friends. His second message was, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, this message is resounding like a loudspeaker through generations, thousands of years, 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. Generation of generation have been moved by the Spirit of God. They used to sit in tents and they'll be listening to a speaker who has been touched and changed by God. And suddenly the Spirit of God will grab hold of somebody in that congregation and will say, Son, you are the one that God is looking for. And that person stands up and he says, Yes, that's me. I'm going. I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, that's how it happened for me. But somebody came and somebody prophesied. Somebody spoke into my life when I was hungry and thirsty and I was crying out to God and I said, Lord, you've got to use me. Somebody spoke and the Spirit of God entered me and I threw everything away. I gave up my job. I gave up everything. I lost my wife in a divorce and everything happened that I should not have happened to me. Maybe I made some foolish mistakes along the way. As you can see, I've lost a lot of hair. That was a foolish mistake. But God help us. You know, we are blessed. God chose us, ordained us. He said to me, John 15, 16, Son, you did not choose me. Oh, that settled something in my heart. That was my pride. To say I chose God. No, no, no. I didn't ask to be born into this world. I didn't ask to become a drug addict. But I fell into the trap of the devil. And God got me out of it. Because He chose me. Right? And if He has chosen you, 
and if you are humble and you would humble yourself at any given stage of your walk with him he will lift you up from the mighty clay he will plant you on the rock to stay and you will stay by the hand of God not by your hand you cannot stand on the rock by your hand you don't have holy feet John the Baptist said I cannot even touch the feet of this man who's coming It's not his ability, it's not his gift, it's not his calling, it's not his mantle. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what is important. And that's why he said he will come and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Oh, today we are talking in tongues and, you know, carrying on with a few miracles here and there, signs and wonders, a couple of souls here, a couple of souls there. And all that's good. I'm not disdaining it, nor am I putting it down. But come on, you need to grow. You need to grow. You need to stop playing around with your Christianity. Because God is asking for more. Because people are dying in the world. People, there's nobody there to tell them the message. We were there on Christmas dinner with my sisters, my wife's uh, sister's family, 15 of them Buddhists, drinking away, carrying on, getting drunk right in front of my eyes. I got 10 minutes with two men. Well, I go in with both feet. And I told them my testimony. I didn't bash them with the Bible. I told them my testimony. And I told them how God operates in my life. They're fascinated. They're asking more and more and more questions. Till the devil came back. Then I stopped. You gotta tell them. Because then God will judge them according to the word you gave them. They cannot have an excuse. Why is Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel? And he's, it's not only preach the gospel, it's baptize, make disciples. Why did we come here? To make war horses. To make war horses. That's why we came here. Australian. Chosen. Australia, India. Acronym. To raise war horses from here to send to British India. I said, Lord, where is Australia? Is that the back of who? Where is that? He said, yes, you're going there, sir. You're going there to raise war horses. Well, going to all the world and preach the gospel, you said, well, I'll go to Australia. Okay? I've been everywhere else. Let me go to Australia. So here, six years later. God is looking for you. He wants to meet you somewhere in a secret place and he wants to tell you certain things that you don't know. You think you know. You don't know. No matter how much ministry you've done, you don't know. And never pretend that I know more than what I know. Even if a prophetic word comes. I never pretend. Why? Because I know how God operates to a certain point, I know. And I stay within the confines of my fear of the Lord and the understanding of the Lord. Because His ways are not my ways and His thoughts are not my thoughts. He doesn't confine to us, we confine to His ways. We submit to His hand. If He says go to Africa, you go to Africa. If He says go to America, you go to America. 
You don't argue, you don't question. You say, what about my lunch? What about my dinner? What about my wife? What about my sex? What about my $100 a month? No, you don't get nothing, man. You just go there, don't take anything with you. And wherever you go, they will feed you, they will look after you, and they will bless you. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't think that's good enough for me. Well, then don't go. Don't go. See how blessed you get. Because when the instruction comes to a chosen person and the person doesn't obey, guess what? The hand of God comes down heavy on you. And meantime, you're walking around saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Hey, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about you disobeying the words of the Lord. Like Jonah. What happened to him? He ended up in the where the, 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 the belly of the fish. Don't disobey the Lord. He chose you. He ordained you. He called you the plan and a purpose. The devil's after that. He wants to take that seed and destroy it. He wants to somehow bring somebody into your life that's not of God. He wants to destroy you in some way. He will bring some situation. He will ask you to go somewhere and do something to destroy you. But God always intervenes. God always, God always intervenes. Going to all the world and preach the gospel. That was the outgoing message of Jesus. The returning message of Jesus is the third message that has come to the church and to the world. What is it? Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 22. Verses 12 onwards, I'll tell you. 12, 13, 17, and 20. The returning message of Jesus. The Alpha and the Omega is speaking now. This is not Jesus, the Christ who walked the earth. This is Alpha and the Omega, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, seated upon the throne, the Creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. This is who is speaking now. Amen. And if you haven't heard, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Don't be dull of hearing. Start thinking and start opening your heart to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Because this is the final message to the church. And if you don't get it, you're in serious trouble. Let me warn you. You are in serious trouble if you don't get this message. Verse 12. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work, that his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 17, And the Spirit of the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. And verse 20, he which testified these things said, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Wow. <laughs> the voice from heaven is speaking now. Hebrews 1 1, he says, In the old days, God spoke through his prophets. These days, he's speaking through his son. But his son, you know, 
has been translated into the Spirit of God. Did you know that? Did you know that the Spirit of God is actually Jesus? One and the same. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They know him. If you're hearing the voice of God, you're hearing the voice of the Father. You're hearing the voice of the Spirit. And they testify of the Son. And they say, listen to what the Alpha and the Omega is saying to you. I didn't write this Bible for nothing. I didn't put the whole world through all that they have gone through for nothing. There is a reason. You do not understand the dynamics of the spiritual life. You do not, you cannot even see into it. If I showed you what was in the spirit, you would die instantly. Who are you and me to say anything to God as to how he should run the earth? And why is there famine? And why is there divorce? And why is this person hurting me? And why is that happening? And why is this happening? And why is there rape and murder? And children and pedophiles? And all these sort of things going on. You know, who are you to question God and put the blame on God for that? When you and I, the humankind, have been responsible for all of these things. Whereas He came to get rid of all of these things and die on the cross for it. And yet we stand here and we blame Him. And He says, Behold, here's my last message to you, church. I'm not going to speak to you anymore. I come quickly, get ready. Here, meantime, we're building our houses, getting married, having children having all sorts of things without spending time trying to understand what this all-consuming message of Jesus is for our times. What is he saying? Well, he just finished saying in the book of Revelation all the woes and all the things that are going to come on the earth and how two-thirds of the world population is going to be wiped out and how all these disasters are going to come upon the earth and you know all the judgments that are going to come upon the earth. He's been telling us till we got to chapter 22. And then in chapter 22 he says, I'm coming quickly. Well, where do you think we are in the scheme of things? Honestly, have you sat down and thought about where you are in the scheme of things? Oh, it doesn't come to Australia. Government is doing a fantastic job keeping the virus out. Hey, who cares about the virus, man? Tomorrow China throws an atom bomb on Australia. We're gone anyway. If they send 250,000 troops to 300,000 troops to, this, to, to our side, we're gone anyway. No friends, we never, never really worry about something till it comes to our doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we are falling on our knees and crying out to the Almighty God and saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something about it? He said, now, hang on a second. I'm still coming to stay on. And the voice within us 
the Spirit of God is praying and saying, Behold, come quickly. The bride says, Come. We can't take any more of this. Come quickly. Surely I come quickly, says the Lord. So, oh, what is quickly? 2,000 years have gone by. Everything is the same. Who cares? You're not coming. I'm going to go and have my fun. I'm turning my heart away from you. I don't have time to spend with you. I don't want to go through the hard yak of praying, reading your Bible, attending church, being nice to people who are being offensive, and all of those things. I don't want to do all that. I'll just go and be me. And I'll just go and get into the grave. And when the time comes, I'll come up before you and say, I got saved 20 years ago, so let me into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, I don't know you. Get away from me. I don't know you at all. No, there's a hard yak. And it's happening right now. It's happening in the church right now. And we've got to press in. If we don't press in, if we don't seek the Lord, if we don't hunger and thirst for Him and His righteousness, and seek up His kingdom, it shall be removed from us. Just as it was removed from those in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Jews lost it. Spiritual maturing is the requirement of our salvation. You cannot live a static Christianity. And you know what a static Christianity? It's not about you coming to church. It's not about you wearing a label called Christianity. Static Christianity is basically just walking around believing that you are a Christian when you're not. Do you know how many people I have met in the church who are not Christians? And you say, no, but how can you judge them? And I don't judge them. I have a discernment given to me by the Holy Spirit to know who they are. That's how I know those who are struggling in their faith and those who are the weak and those who are the tares. So I don't associate myself with the tares even though they are in the church. I may cater to them, I may bless them, I may love on them, but I don't join their forces. So who are you listening to today? What YouTube message are you bringing into your mind and into your heart? Amen. I've got a rude awakening just this year from the Lord. Because some 40 to 50 prophets have prophesied all over the world about certain events that were going to happen in the elections in America. And they said that they had met Jesus and carried on about how all these things are going to happen and how this detailed thing was going to happen. And some said they went to heaven and some said all oh, this. Oh, man, I fell for it. The God opened my eyes and he said, No, son, you are not hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So I watched, I watched, and I watched the whole thing crumble. And I said, Lord, how can you 
let down 40 to 50, maybe 100 prophets of yours from around the world. He said, how can you do that? Why are you doing that? He said, you better be careful, son. You better be careful about what you think and what you believe about me. Or what you're claiming to be, which you're not. Oh, that woke me up. That woke me up and the fear of the Lord came upon me. Because it's so easy to go up to Him with all our accolades. Right? Like there are guys who went up to Him and said, I did this in your name and I did that in your name and all this sort of stuff. And He said, I don't know, you get away from me. Folks, we have lost the fear of the Lord in the church. This is a bus station. People come and go from this church as though like this is, oh, it's there. It's a bus station. You know, I can just catch a bus anytime I want. I have begged, I have pleaded, I have served, I have cried out to them, but they won't listen. Too difficult to come be with the body of Christ and serve the Lord and worship Him in spirit and in truth. So all the hacklers and the wanderers go past and say, look at the The church is falling down. There's hardly anybody in it. I once watched a clip, a video clip, of a pastor standing on a pulpit and preaching to a church with about 100 people. And he was preaching about the end times, about the rapture. And as he was preaching, the rapture happened. And about half his congregation left, the other half were left in the church. And they were crying out because they knew the rapture happened. You see, they knew about it. The Jews knew the Messiah was coming. The Jews knew the Messiah was coming. It was written for them in their books. Just as these words have been written down for us to know that, behold, I come quickly. Ah. This is where the problem is. Are we listening to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying? So I say, get mature in your faith. Start spirit getting closer to Jesus. I was just talking to a lady who I prayed for about nine months or maybe a year ago. Cancer. Dying. Fourth stage. So my wife and I visited her and prayed. And destroyed all the enemy's works in her. And she got healed that same day. She kept going for chemo, but after a few weeks, she went back to work. She stayed at work for nine months. Then I got news again that even the cancer has returned. So I ran out because there was no contact for nine months, not returning my calls, not coming to the church. Not interested, got the healing and walked away. Said, so I said, where are you now? So I'm going to church. Oh, where are you going? I'm going to blah, 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 church. Okay. I said, he's going to church, same thing, same Now? Silence. No. Where is your intimacy with Christ? What if you don't get healed anymore? Where is your relationship with Christ? Do you think healing is the ultimate? No, it's not. 
It's your approval. Like Derek Prince said, you know, and he doesn't have to say it. The Bible says, there's a mark on your head, on your forehead, by the Holy Spirit. A seal that says you belong to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, that's the first thing they're going to look for. If that seal is there. Or have you lost the seal somewhere along the way? That's why I said to you about static Christianity. Is that you don't have the fear of the Lord. It's an assumption that you're walking with God. It's an assumption that everything is okay. But yet he wants the seven churches in the Bible. Out of which five were not doing what he, was, he had asked them to do. And he said I will remove your candlestick. I said to Jesus. I said how can you be so bad? That they have done 99% of what you asked for, but this one thing you are holding them good for that. He said, good, because I'm perfect. Be perfect as I am perfect. He said, God, I cannot be perfect. I cannot be totally righteous. I've got sin in my life. I've got bad thoughts in my life. I've got all sorts of issues and situations going on in my life. So what is my preparations for your coming? He said, son, if my spirit does not live in you, you are none of me. So what do I do? I get down on my knees and I become intimate with my bridegroom. I become intimate because I want his covering. I want his cloak over me like Boaz over Ruth. That the devil cannot take my salvation and the darkness cannot take my salvation and I cannot lose it by my own stupidity. Because I come into the presence of the Lord by His invitation, His love, His constant calling and saying, come back son, restore your life to your first love. Again, oh God, I've got these miracle signs and wonders. He said, put that aside. Come back to your first love. What is first love? Who are all the in the natural. <laughs> I want to talk about first love in the spiritual. When he saved me, when he saved me, he showed me his glory and his power. I was completely delivered. There was no withdrawal symptoms of drugs. There was no withdrawal symptoms of alcohol. There was no withdrawal symptoms of cigarettes. There was no withdrawal symptoms of anything. He said, now I want to deal with your heart. That's mine, you can't have it. No, I want to deal with your heart. Because now you're mine. Ooh. That's where most of us have a problem. Is dealing with the heart. So my question to you today is that your spiritual maturity is it working for you? Are you growing? Are you coming closer to Jesus? Are you getting to that point where He has got you in the palm of His hand and He can lead you around any which way He wants? If the King's heart is in the hands of the Lord and He can direct it in the way that it must go. You must come to that place of surrender. I was listening to a song this morning. It says, 
you know, whatever your plan is, beautiful song. I'm going to play it on the 31st. Whatever your plan is. And I think to myself, why is she singing that? That's a dangerous song. <laughs> whatever your plan is. And the Spirit of the Lord said, because he's talking about abandonment. So when Jesus came to the garden of Gethsemane, he had to make a choice. His miracle signs and wonders were over. His 30 year, odd years of spreading the gospel was over. His walk on the earth was over. Now his body was going to be offered as a sacrifice upon the cross. He knew it. He knew it all along, but he kept it away for 33 years. But at 33 years, he came to the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Not my will, but your will be done. When he comes to your house and he asks you the question, Will you serve me and follow me? That's your garden of Gethsemane. That's your garden of Gethsemane. So your spiritual maturity must be heading towards these three messages. The first message in the incoming one was peace and goodwill toward men. The outgoing message was go into all the world and preach the gospel. I send you power from on high. Go and do what I'm telling you to do. The third message was, I am coming back soon. Get yourself ready. I am seeking God for strategies. Mm. Not out of fear. Out of an understanding that, hey, there is something there for me to do that I haven't done yet. I need to do it. And it, it, it's bugging me. It's like a bird in my mattress. It's bugging me. I can't find it. I'm searching for it, but I can't find it. So I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking, but I know it's there. And that's what's pushing me forward. That's what's causing me to accept this changing of, of my understanding. But then he comes to the point where he starts dealing with the innermost man, your conscience. And he says, now you need a settling of the conscience. Because only when you settle the conscience, that can you move forward. We have an understanding in our lives that we can move forward at any given moment. You can't. You have to have a settling of your conscience. When you come to take the communion, it's a settling of your conscience. You can't come back again next Sunday with something you have in your mind from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. The, 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 the conscience is not cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Your communion is in vain. Your relationships are in vain. They are being deplenished uh, by the power of evil in your life. You look good from the outside. You say all the right things. You say the Christianese things. Oh, yeah, brother. Oh, you know, all this such. But inside you are rocking and you don't even know it. Here's what Jesus told the Jews. He said, you are white wall sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. He said, God, I don't want that. Show me what it means to be alive for you and walking with you because I need that. He says, get your conscience right. The blood settles it. He said, see, the blood of bulls and goats never settled. But the blood of Jesus did. We, we don't have an understanding that there are many, many things that affect our thinking. Self-condemnation, including the devil, 
Convictions of the Holy Spirit. Has anybody been convicted by the Holy Spirit? Yeah? What has it done for you? Holy fear. But out of holy fear came a better man. Came a better man. Because you have a clear conscience now. And instructions of the command of Jesus. They require the blood as well. Right? If I'm going to follow the instructions of the Lord and do what He asked me to do, I need the blood. Not just the power of the Holy Spirit. I need three things. I need the Word of God. I need the blood of Jesus. Amen? And I need the Spirit of God. There's three work together as Anoja brought this morning in the community. Three witnesses on earth. The blood, the Word, and the Spirit. They have to agree with the one in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If they don't agree, it's not done in heaven or it's not done on earth. Even if you agree with somebody else. That's why I said, if you don't have the witness of the word, you know, speaking to you, two or three witnesses of the word, don't bother even doing anything. Because it's not going to last. It's going to fall to the ground. I cried and cried and begged the Lord, give me my wife, give me my wife, give me my wife. He said, no, she's not for you, man. I said, no, no, give me my wife, I'd rather die. He said, okay, have the wife. Twelve years later, I was divorced. I wasn't even saved, I was a drug addict and alcoholic, talking to God, because I knew about God, and I understood God was the almighty power, that I could talk to Him. Because my mother had instilled all those words into me, I knew who God was. I didn't think God was Buddha, Allah, or somebody else. No. I knew that God was Jesus. And I never gave my life to Him. And some of you may have not given your life to Him. You think you have. Because you've not followed His instructions. I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about initial salvation. I'm talking about you giving your life to Him to follow His instructions like He said to the rich young ruler, take up your cross and follow me. You need the blood, you cannot go without it. I'm not going to go into the enemy's territory without the blood covering. Thank you very much. I'll be eaten alive. No one will come. There is no peace or goodwill till our consciences are set. There's a lot more to say. But we're getting to that point where I want to end the message. Jesus loves according to His Word. Listen to this very carefully. Jesus loves according to His Word. Let's go to John 14, 24. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is it, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Conditional love. 
If you keep the commandments of God, He will love you and you will be loved of Him. Amen? Now, you know, let's go to John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now He's bringing the relationship up on how love works from the Father through the Son to us. Because He's abiding in the Father, and if we are abiding in Jesus, we are abiding in the love of God. It's not carte blanche. Okay, it's not across the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, He did. He loved the world. He gave His Son. But the world does not love Him, nor do they keep His commandments. So He says, I love you if you keep my commandments. Let's go to John 5. Verses 2 and 3. Oh, sorry, I think I wrote the Let's go to 2 John 1 6. <clears throat> 2 John 1 6. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as he have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. His love is in, inside his commandments, in association with his commandments. Okay, so we have to understand that. Otherwise, we're going to walk our own way and we're not going to make it. Now look at 1 John 5, I've got it now. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments do not read us. Wow. It's very simple. Okay? We walk around telling everybody, Jesus loves you. Yeah, Jesus loves you, right? But now, you need to keep His commandments. Otherwise, you lose out. You see, it's a fallacy to think that God loves the wicked. God does not love the wicked. God loves those who love Him. His first two commandments were what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's talking about an, a threefold cord that cannot be broken easily. The love of the Father, the love of the Son and the love of one another. All connected to each other translated from one to the other, brought down the line and go back up the line in the same way. So if I don't love you, I don't love God. If I love God and I don't love you, it's not, I'm not loving God. I've got to love God and I've got to love you. So I have to work it out. I have to practice it. You see, you think God loves the wicked. No, God doesn't love the wicked. He loves them. He doesn't love their wickedness. And he doesn't love what they are doing, so therefore they are lost. Right? He wants them saved. We were all wicked ones, we were all sinners once. But he came and talked to us and he said, Now get saved and keep my commandments. I don't love you like I love my wife. Did you know that? 
Nah, you didn't know that. You thought I loved you more than my wife. Nah. I'll get thrashed at home and I'll be sleeping on the lounge for the rest of my life. <laughs> nah. You don't love anybody else more than you love your wife. Who do you think Jesus is talking about? Mm -hmm. You are his wife. Yes. Do you think he loves anybody else more than he loves his wife? Anybody who touches his church will go down. Will go down. In whatever way you try. You will go down. Don't touch his church. So, let's go on to closing this meeting. In finishing, what has these three messages got to do with the last days in 2024? Peace and goodwill to men. Go into all the world and preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm coming back quickly, get ready. What does it mean? It means accepting. Accepting the messages. And the truth and the timing of the messages. So the first message came 2,000 years ago. Hung around for a little while and then there came another message as Jesus left 33 years later. And he said, go and over. That message is staying with us for almost 2,000 years. But now a new message is being broadcast from heaven across the earth. And it's taking people by storm. It's shaking the church and it's shaking the world. You should know which side you are on and what you are accepting. Accept the truth and the timing of it. by recognition of what is happening around you and around the world. And then the message will mean something. Amen? When you go home, ask the Lord, am I where you want me to be? Am I positioned? Am I in that place? That you have prepared for me. Because if you come tomorrow, <coughs> I want to be ready. You may not be perfected, but He will perfect you before He takes you. Amen? Yeah. We strive for perfection by accepting that God is doing something different in His last days. So we need to accept the truth. Maybe you need prayer this morning. Maybe you need to be given a new lease on life. I don't know. We need to understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Please come. I'll pray for you. You need to be healed or delivered or set free or given a new lease on life. Something that God only can do for you. Not bad.